if you think about how many movies were cranked out in the 80s, I feel like there was no other time that movies were being cranked out like crazy, like in the 80s. And, you know, cocaine does that. Welcome to the Crooked Table Podcast, where we discuss the world of film from a fresh angle. And now your host, Robert Yannis Jr. Welcome to the Crooked Table Podcast. This is Rob. On this show, we democratize the film criticism conversation by bringing on fans and critics alike to dig into their personal connection to a current or classic release. This episode, we're going to be talking about the 1984 horror comedy family Christmas movie, I guess, uh, Gremlins. And I'm honored to welcome to the show Christian Garcia. Welcome to the Crooked Table Podcast. Hello. So tell people a little bit about your show, uh, Nerds with Friends, and uh, why they why they need to check uh, check that out. Because uh, we're funny as fuck. No, um, <laughs> so we usually um, we usually do at least recently a lot a lot of current movie reviews, but we also do video games, books, uh, anything and everything nerdy. Uh, so, you know, in, we try to cater to our guests. So if we have a guest on that they specifically nerd on on something, um, we will cater to that genre of nerddom. Um, we try to get guests all the time. We try to get a lot of voice actors, comedians. Um, we've had like one cosplayer. We try to hit all aspects of all nerdoms. That's cool. That's cool. And, it's, and especially nowadays where... Being, you know, everything nerdy seems like is is everything mainstream now. I mean, every time you turn around, there's another, you know, comic book movie or Game of Thrones type show or, or something like that to talk about. So, I mean, I, there's no shortage of of uh, material for you guys. Isn't that a bitch, though? Like growing up, <laughs> the stuff I was into, like, you know, that was weird. And now it's like what's cool is like, dude, I could have been hanging out with like all the cool kids if I was a kid now. It's like, but no. Like, no, 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 I guess uh, I was uh, raised out of time, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it makes me think of, um, what is it, I think 21 Jump Street, one of them, where when they were in school, that was the situation, and then now all the nerds are the, the cool kids, and the jocks are sort of more of the outcasts, I think was the yeah. idea, and that, yeah, it's exactly like that. It's like, what the <laughs> fuck, man? Like that, <laughs> we, it, we paved the road for all these kids today, man, it fucking we, sucks. We did, we really did. And, you know, people today, especially with, you know, I was thinking specifically the, the superhero thing. Back in the day, all we had was Batman, and he, I, that's pretty much it. That's kind of Batman for a while. Um, oh, we had, so, uh, there was the X-Men. There was the X-Men cartoon. That's true. Um, there was the Ninja Turtles. Um, oh, man, Ninja Turtles. Now you're speaking my language. See? I you was know, all like in all Ninja the, Turtles. Yeah, man, like I, like, I collected the... Um, Marvel um, trading cards. I, I don't remember if it's the 90s one. I almost have a complete set. I think I'm missing some of the holograms. And I, I hate the fact that I can't remember the card set right now. What, what was kind of your first big nerd property that, that you got into as a kid? Because for me, it's probably, oh man, I think I was like five years old and I was, I was watching like Masters of the Universe and things like that. And then of course, you know, Ghostbusters and uh, Ninja Turtles and Power Rangers and all of that stuff. So what was like your first big property that brought you into like you, nerd culture? You just said it, but I, w I would say um, growing up, me and my brother, we used to have the He-Man um, action figures. Yes. And uh, so I don't even remember the, uh, the the purple. Was it purple or green? I don't even remember. Was he mixed? The, the tiger he rode in on. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. 
we would fight over, you know, who was going to play with it and He-Man. Um, so I would say, the, like, you know, think of it. Actually, no, like, those were mine. My brother would try to take it from me. But I would say um, Transformers was, like, his biggest thing. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I was I was, I was, was into Transformers, not as big as he was. Uh, later on, when he turned 18, he got a, the Decepticon, of all things, symbol on his calf. So that's how hardcore Transformers uh, he was slash is, I guess. Yeah, I feel like I missed the whole Transformers thing because I was so focused on you know, the, the properties I mentioned that I, I wasn't super into Transformers at that time. So then when the movies started happening, I was just like, oh, okay, yeah, I've heard, I know, I'm familiar with that, but it's not like something that really struck a chord with me as a kid. Yeah, that's another uh, another thing Michael Bay managed to destroy for us, you know, along with Ninja Turtles. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> It's um that's funny now that they have the what the Masters of the Universe Netflix show I guess that Kevin Smith is doing that's sort of following up with that so I'm kind of curious how that's going to turn out. Oh, is is that out? No, not yet. It's it's happening. That's been been announced. That's like a, he's show running it I guess or whatever. Um, and I'm I'm a Kevin Smith fan too, so I'm kind of interested how that combination is going to work. Yeah, actually, uh, it's funny. We're in the process. I want to try to get Jason Mewes on our podcast. We were. It would be amazing. We were lucky enough to interview um, the kind folks at Legion M, and Legion M, they're the ones who were working with Kevin Smith to do uh, Kevin um, James and Bob reboot. So we jokingly asked, like, hey, can we get Kevin Smith? And they're like, ah, it was a struggle to get him on. Like, uh, I think that some, I forgot what news outlet. So we were like, uh, Jason Muse? And they're like, that's probably a little bit more doable. Yeah. Like, we'll see. Well, who knows? I don't want to promise anyone who's listening that we're going to get them. It's just uh, us high hoping that, that we will. Yeah, no, that, that would, I mean, that would be a, a really great get. How long have you guys been doing the podcast? What was sort of, give us the kind of secret origin behind Nerds with Friends and what, what caused you uh, to start up. Uh, Cody actually wrote a funny story, like a fake origin story. It's on the website. But in reality, um, me and Cody would just on weekends, like hang out at a bar like once, a, like like Saturdays and Sundays, we would just meet up at a bar, have a couple drinks, and just nerd out with me, him, and a couple other friends. And you know, we always like, tried to make each other laugh. And we we're like, hey, what? You know, we were just like, why don't we try doing a podcast? See, see what happens. And that was like almost seven years ago. And we're just, you know, it gives us a reason to hang out, have a good time. Hopefully, people listening also have a good time. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I, I you know, I think that's a lot of times, sometimes the best. Uh, you know, at least entertainment podcasts is that you just kind of fly on the wall style, just letting people in on the conversations that you would be having anyway. It just happens to be a mic on, uh, you know. And I and I think you know, I think that's cool. I applaud you guys for sticking with it for so long. It's 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 not easy sometimes to keep a podcast going for a long period of time. And I've had this one over a few years, but I was wasn't really making it a focus for a while. How do you guys find the you know, find the time to really make it a priority and generate that fresh content, you know, on a regular basis. I mean, it's, we, we do it anyway, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, okay. uh, so I guess I got to cover that. You know, no, like we go, like we, we, we are genuine, um, fans of what we talk about. And I think that's like the secret sauce of any podcast. Like if you're not actually into what you're talking about, the audience can like they can smell it, you know. Mm-hmm. And we genuinely nerd out about the things we talk about. We're huge fans. Um, I'm sure even sometimes some of the listeners are like, all right, dude, if you guys talk about the Dark Tower one more time, you know, because we're huge Stephen King fans. And um, yeah, I mean, we 
we do it because we love it, you know, and hopefully people who listen also enjoy it. How did, you know, you mentioned Stephen King. How did you feel about It Chapter 2 then? Which is uh, It's funny. I'm writing an article about doing a, a for Geek Vibes, Geek Vibes Nation, uh, which is another podcast that I hop on as a guest a lot. And I'm trying to do a comparison of the book and the movie. And I loved the movie. Um, it, to me, is the closest rendition of film or from book to film. Um, the only thing that I wish, and and we talked about on the podcast is we wish that Stephen King would get the MCU treatment because he's developed his own entire universe. Um, and everything leads to the dark tower. And that was some things that we wish we had seen in the movie, like some Easter eggs. Um, I don't know if you've read the book, but um, there was a turtle that they showed a little bit in uh, the movie in chapter one and chapter two. And he is a big deal in the book. His name is Maturin and he's, uh, he's like the counterpart of it. It likes to think of himself as being this God deity from the macroverse. I'm, I'm probably getting too much into it for anyone who, who hasn't read the book and just seen the movies, but he's created this huge universe that we wish we can see. Um, in the films. And I just wish that someone would give Stephen King that treatment because when it comes to his books, to his movies, they don't always come out great, man. <laughs> and this one, this film was to me amazing. It didn't do everything that was in the book, but the things that they took out, I totally understand why they did. Uh, and I also really did enjoy the fact that uh, they would kind of make fun of uh, Bill's character where they were like, oh yeah, he makes great books, shitty endings. Because Stephen King kind of gets that, <laughs> gets that treatment where it's like, oh, you know, it was an awesome book, but I wasn't really feeling the ending. I'm not one of those people. Um, you know, I'm like, if who, the person who's creating, they have full rights to create the way they want to create. If you didn't like the ending, well, that's too bad for you. You know, you're not, you're not the creator. Right. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, so I loved, I love the movie. Um, I personally, I'm not afraid of clowns, so I didn't really think it was scary, but I thought it was a great, awesome film. Yeah, no, I, I'm I agree with you, and I feel like I'm kind of in the minority. I feel a, a lot, it's getting a lot of divisive reaction on on film Twitter and beyond, and I, yeah, I, I found it more like darkly funny than I did really scary in a way. Just I think it's because also because it's such a supernatural force. It's like ah, eh, there's no such thing as a demon clown. That's not that scary. I mean, you know, it's it's more dark fantasy than it is uh, horror to me in a lot of ways. And I th- I guess the um, the Hulu show Castle Rock is the closest they really come to a Stephen King, you know, universe. So hopefully maybe that's something they'll do at some point. Cause I agree. That would be really cool to see on screen. And I think as far as the Maturin thing, I think I'd read somewhere that they did film something with the turtle. So I'm hoping that'll end up in the like super cut, whatever that, that I'm sure that they're working on now. So uh, we'll definitely keep an eye out for that, but yeah, like, yeah cool. if it's in the extras of the DVDs or the Blu-rays, I'm all about it. I'm getting totally going to get it. Yeah, yeah. My only thing I think with it, Chapter Two, is that it does feel like the first one was designed to be more of a standalone, and because of that, the second film kind of bears all the weight of filling in the story. You know what I mean? Like uh, that's why I almost think I think the 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 recut version would probably flow a lot better and not not leave all the mythology on the second half. So. But I mean, I, I, that's not really much of a complaint, just more of an observation. And yeah, because uh, I, I enjoyed it a lot. So I'm glad we're on the same page yeah, and, with that. And if you haven't read The Dark Tower, 
read the Dark Tower. Uh, and everyone who's listening, go read the Dark Tower. It was it's just so great, and it'll lead you to other Stephen King books. Or if you've read other Stephen King books, uh, it'll all, most of those lead to the Dark Tower. So it's a uh, the guy's to me is an amazing fucking storyteller, and I mean he's he's a big in writing, but I don't think he gets the credit that he deserves. Yeah, yeah, well, for sure. Well, I'm sure that they they're doing something with they're supposed to do a show right of the Dark Tower, so maybe they'll. I, I, I don't know what happened I with the plans so. after that movie <laughs> that came out and that that movie <sighs> that movie was nothing <laughs> at all. Like the book, not even close. And that, like, I was excited when they got Idris Elba to play Roland, but even he, like, couldn't save it. It was just so, so, so terrible. Yeah. So, to be to be continued to the whole Stephen King universe, we'll see. Hopefully. So, for as for today, we're going to be talking about the 1984 film Gremlins. So let's listen to a little bit of the trailer right now. Billy Pelser has a nice home. Yeah, Mom, it's me. A nice job. A nice girl. If you're not doing anything this Thursday night, maybe you'd like to uh, go out on a date with me? I'd love to. And loving parents who are about to give him... You're gonna like this. No, 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 don't shake it. We're gonna have to open it now. We'll wait till Christmas. The most unusual gift (laughs) he ever got. What is it? No. It's your new pet. Come on, Barney, be a good dog. My dad gave it to me. But there are a few things to keep in mind. If you expose it to the light, you may hurt it. If you get it wet, it will multiply. All that from water? They got wet? Yeah, plain water. And most important, no matter how much they beg, never, never let them eat after midnight. Because when they do, they change. That was a little bit of the trailer for Gremlins from 1984, directed by Joe Dante. So, Christian, why did you want to talk about Gremlins specifically? I mean, I have the form that to that, that prospective guests can fill out. You had your first choice, Gremlins, and your second choice, Gremlins. So, why is why did you <laughs> why did you want to talk about Gremlins so much? Not that it's, I not that I'm you know arguing because any any excuse to talk about a movie like this that I you know grew up with is uh, is welcome, but. It's probably the first movie that I remember uh, watching as a kid that I both loved watching and like kind of scared me as a kid. Um, and it's probably one of the films that I probably researched the most about and like fanboy the hardest about. Um, it, it, you know, it's, it's for kids. You know, it was a little scary, but it was also a little funny. Um, and even as I've, I probably I watch it every Christmas. I watched the movie, um, and to this day, just the carefulness of the puppets of the Gremlins, like it was amazing puppetry, and they, to me, it still holds up today. Um, and I just like I know that there's talks about them either doing a new one or rebooting it, and I hope that if they do, they keep it all practical effects and puppets. I don't. I really don't want to see any uh, CG gremlins. Yeah. It's probably one of the, like the movies that I could watch anytime, or you know, a couple times a day. Uh, and it's probably just because I saw it and loved it as a kid. And yeah, I mean, any excuse to talk about gremlins, I'll I'll take it. Yeah, same, same. No, I, I actually, yeah, I did want to mention that it's it's it is one of those like perfect. 
like kind of alt Christmas movies, you know, the, like the, like Die Hard, where it's technically a Christmas movie, not about Christmas, but set at Christmas, so it still kind of works. And uh, yeah, it, it's I I grew up with this this one as well. Uh, it's kind of crazy that it thinking that this was one of the biggest hits of 1984. Uh, it came out June 8th, the same day as Ghostbusters, and both of those were like huge, like like pivotal movies for me. Uh, and this made 150 million back then, which is really impressive. Um, but but yeah, I it's I think it, it it's also not only you know not only is it the the tonal balance, but it's it's pivotal in is in cinema history as you know uh, with this and Temple of Doom. As listeners don't know, I'm sure you already know this. That was uh, instrumental in the creation of the PG-13 rating, which we'll get into some of the violence and all that stuff in here and how it's really uh kind of crazy that this is technically kind of marketed as a kids movie considering how much crazy shit happens in it um but uh, i had no idea about the temple of doom i knew i've i've always thought that it was gremlins that was credited with the pg-13 but you said it was temple of doom i think it was both of them because they both were like kind of coming out around the same time and they're both i think rated pg but it was the conversations behind the scenes that led to them being like, well, R is too hard. PG might be too light for this kind of thing going forward. So that's what really led to PG-13 becoming a viable option. And now, of course, now today, pretty much any movie that's marketed to kids, unless it's explicitly like animated or something, is PG-13. I mean, like every superhero movie is PG-13 at this yeah, point. Yeah, side now, note. So. Side note, I love Temple of Doom as well. And that's like one of those movies where even though Cody is my homeboy, <laughs> like that's one of my best friends, he fucking hates Temple of Doom. He loves Indiana Jones, but he hates Temple of Doom. And that's one of like that's one of my favorite ones. So it's kind of interesting that it was both yeah. two of my favorite movies that created a PG-13. Yeah, I haven't seen Temple of Doom in a long time. I should probably go back and rewatch that because I'm, I'm curious how I would feel about it now. Uh, so do you have any... I mean, it, this is one of those movies that's so ingrained... Uh, probably in both of us. That do you have any idea when you when you first saw Gremlins, or is it just one of those movies that you just feel like you've always known about? I mean, I I probably saw it when I was like four or five, to be honest. Like my parents were, uh, <laughs> so I'm Mexican American, so uh, my parents, you know, migrated over here to the United States, so they probably didn't know like <laughs> too much, like <laughs> what I probably should watch and probably shouldn't watch. Uh, I feel like their theory was like, well, if he watches it and they don't ask any questions, it was probably okay. Is kind of <laughs> what I think their parenting theory was. So, what watching it, you know, watching it now, what, how do you feel about the uh, the appropriateness of this film for a four year old? Like, in the, the way that the uh, yeah, the way that the violence is kind of carried on on screen. Because I have my wife and I have a almost three year old, and I'm like, yeah, this she's not gonna watch this for a while, just because it is kind of. Uh, it is kind of crazy and intense for uh, for a toddler, in my opinion. What are, what are your, kind of your thoughts on on that watching oh, it now? The, the scenes with Mrs. Peltzer alone, especially taking those, out yeah. like <laughs> taking out almost the majority. And that's one thing. Shout out to Miss Peltzer. I feel like she never gets any credit. She was fucking badass. She almost took out the entire issue and problem by herself. You know, like it was her alone in her kitchen, badass as fuck. With her knife and her little, uh, I guess it was like a little table she was using as a shield. And that's actually one of my favorite scenes. Mm -hmm. Like, dude, this, like, she fucking kicked all their asses, like, by herself until she caught, caught off guard by one. 
Yeah, she really did. And it's funny because the movie, like, you don't really get a legit shot of a gremlin until I, I noted this about 50 minutes in, like, li- literally the halfway point, pretty much, when, when one of the gremlins pops out on Billy uh, in that scene. And then and then you have the classic horror setup of her in the, in the house, the gremlins are loose, and, and Billy calls her, the he's like, Mom, get out of the house, that kind of thing. Um, and, yeah, I... I you know, so you go from no gremlins to holy shit, like an invasion of gremlins in that one, in that one sequence. And uh, let's say I think she kills one in the mixer, and then she like like viciously stabs one to death, and then of course the microwave scene. Uh, she nukes up the other one. <laughs> so there's what five I think, including Stripe, and she kills three of them. She kills three, and then the one in the Christmas tree catches her off guard. Right. Right, and then Billy has to jump in and de- decap. That's the one that gets de- decapitated, and then the, yeah, the yeah. head rolls into the fire. Oh man, it's crazy. Um, yeah, I I I love that scene. And th- the thing that's cool about this movie is that it's not only is it is it legitimately suspenseful, but it's the you know the way that they the way that the gremlins are depicted as this kind of like uh, almost like tricksters sort of characters that they're like they're just insanely deadly mischievous uh you know you, you think one of them even says he pulls the the phone cord and he's like he's like says something like phone home which is a reference of course to et which is also produced uh, or also a steven spielberg who produced this movie uh so little the little like the little easter eggs and little gags and things like that i, I love all of that and i also found it really ironic that this is a movie where there's a villainous character that's kind of hell-bent on murdering a dog and yet the the Mrs. Peltzer basically murders three kind of animals in this like in this like rampage scene, and I thought that was really funny. Yeah, I guess we I guess they're animals, right? I mean, kind of. Well, they start all well. Yeah, that's the thing. They're they're animal. Like Gizmo's kind of an animal. He's he's portrayed as essentially a pet uh, like, yeah. throughout the course of the movie. So, because I was thinking, like, are they mythological? I don't know. Like. Uh, the myth really just came about in World War Two, so I mean they're kind of new-ish. There's, they haven't like there's not a there's not a whole lot of folklore about them. So yeah, I guess I guess yeah, in this movie they treat them like like I guess weird creatures. Yeah, they go I, from a mammal to like a reptile. I guess out of nowhere. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wet. They just turn into animals. Um, so yeah, no, I like that. That that's of course the the general idea. You have uh, what is it, Dick Miller, and talking about the gremlins in the World War II and things like that. And that was the general idea for this movie. That kind of the manifestation of those gremlins. I think I think that was it's it's a funny it's a it's a fun it's a fun origin that that the 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 seed of this idea and uh, what it turns out to be throughout the course of the movie. Talk a little bit about you know you were mentioning the the puppetry earlier. Like to talk a little bit about about that and why you know I mean I'm just gonna say what role it plays in making this movie so special, but I think it is kind of the the central like takeaway I guess for this film and why why it's endured for so so long. Well, I guess as a kid I was always fascinated by uh, the puppets in themselves, but now as an adult I appreciate the hours and time that it would have taken. Just in the bar scene alone, when um, you see them, like you see their feet walking, or and you see one, like for whatever reason, break dancing, and just as an adult, I'm like that had to take a lot of planning. There was probably a plank on top. There was probably like three guys underneath, just manipulating the puppet alone. And I always try to research how films are made because I feel like actors and directors are always the ones 
that get uh, the big credit, but there's a shit ton of other people that never really get the spotlight shined on them. So shout out to all the puppet guys. <laughs> I'm sure they're listening. Uh, you guys did an amazing, an amazing job. Um, and like, just all of the all of those shots were just were just so great. And like the planning, it just it it had to have taken so many man hours just to get the shot of the gremlin just like break dancing, you know. And it, I, I just appreciate everyone who worked worked on the film. It's also, I think, in this movie that you could tell watching it, you know, as an adult more closely that the combination of different techniques that they use because obviously they have the kind of animatronic puppets there's marionettes at some point i mean you mentioned how they're they're walking i'm assuming that's probably some of the marionettes they even made like large masks for like some of the close-ups um for yeah, for, for, you know, gizmo, for gizmo specifically the yeah. yeah i thought I, I think they said they were like two or three feet big or something like that his his head right right exactly and it, you know that kind of thing it's it's just they don't they don't really do that anymore and i think in the especially in the 80s cuz i you know i was a i grew up heavy, heavily into the muppets i'm still into the muppets so that was you know that's something i'm sharing with my toddler nowadays so that's that's something that i think is really sort of in a way a lost art for the most part cuz i mean it's still being done here and there i mean the dark crystal show that just put a, went on netflix things like that but it's you beat I, me to it yeah see <laughs> um but it's uh, it, it's something that it's unfortunately not really used very much and i think you know i watch watching you watch a, a heavily cg movie from five years ago and it already looks really dated whereas this is now what 30 35 years old essentially and you know for the most part there's very few seams in this film i mean everything looks legit because it is because you know it is practical like we said it is practical effects i mean even little things like when stripe jumps into the pool and is getting ready to replicate. That's pretty much just glowing lights and like little water jets and strobe effects, but it works. And and you really, you're, you're into the story and, and it's, it, it sucks you into the world. And I think it's, it's a real shame that we don't see that kind of thing as much and everything is just green screen. I think, uh, you know, since you mentioned the pool scene, I, I still think it's hilarious that he plugs his little nose as he's like sinking in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he does. Oh man, I love Skype. Um, but yeah, you mentioned the Dark Crystal, and um, I, you know, as I was watching that show, I was like, oh my god, like they just, like Jim Henson just brought puppets, you know, or the Jim Henson Company, I should say, brought puppets up again, like another level, and I really hope that this kind of, like, just makes a resurgence of practical effects. Uh, there was obviously some CG in it, and CG is great. I'm not, I don't want to knock anyone who right. does CG. My girlfriend's brother works in CG. I always try to get him to give me to tell me what he's working on. And the guy, whatever company he's working for, those those MDAs or the NDAs, like really, like he really <laughs> never talks about it. But as great as CG is and is getting and is improving, it's it's just still not there where I feel like it would beat a practical effect. Just because though computers are getting better at you know, light hitting something and it's a little bit of light is also going to bounce off that and show off another surface. Uh, so my background's in illustration. So like I always try to look for those imperfections uh, and usually I, I do find them in CG. And I feel for people who don't, who haven't studied art, um, even though you're not conscious of it, 
of seeing it, your your brain still picks it up, mm-hmm. and you still it'll still tell you ah, there's something a little bit off about that. I can't put my finger on it, but you know there's something off about it. And you know you don't you don't need to do that with practical practical effects. You have the puppet or the maquette, and you know nature's going to do the rest. You know light's going to bounce off where it has to. So I hope um, that we hopefully see some more of practical effects. Um, I'm okay with the marriage of mostly practical effects and a little bit of CG just to enhance something. I feel like that works pretty well. Um, but hopefully, you know, we get some more practical effects in movies. I think they did use a little bit. The only, I think there's a couple moments in this where it, it looked pretty obvious that they were doing some kind of stop motion, which is obviously the kind of, was more the, the go-to for visual effects and things like that when they, when it wasn't really able to be done, but with puppets and, you know, there's certain moments I'm thinking specifically like in Beetlejuice, like, uh, the, 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 you know, the snake and things like that, where it's stop motion. So it looks dated. I think it kind of adds to the aesthetic a little bit and actually in a way kind of makes the film work regardless. But I think there's a couple moments in here where, where you see some stop motion. That's like the only little inklings that I got that this was a movie that was made in the eighties as opposed to, you know, last year, basically. Well, yeah. I mean, I remember one scene when, uh, it's after the pool scene and that's when there's a shit ton of them and they're about to take over the town and they're walking down the street. Like you can tell that's a clay in stop Mm -hmm. motion, but it's from far Mm -hmm. away. And, but even watching that today, it looks pretty damn good. I mean, you can tell that it's clay, but it also, it's, it's a little jarring to see them like, from the puppet to to that, it adds like an extra little creepy effect to it. Um, the and the only other time where they didn't use puppets, I believe, was in the movie theater uh, the when they're about. Yeah, the shadows, yeah. the creepy shadows, where it looks like they were drawn. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, kind of obviously we had to talk about that up front. That the the puppetry is amazing, and I um, you know I want to talk about the the tone here because this movie is was originally supposed to be way dark. I don't know how much you know about the the previous iterations of the script, but apparently they had the the gremlins were like eating people and they were like uh there I think there was a moment supposed to be a moment like them at a McDonald's eating the customers instead of burger like it was more of a cannibal situation going on. Uh and in this one they're just yeah, they're more they I think the body count is like 4 and they they their activities are more like stringing up the dog with christmas lights and things like that. I know there was a scene that they didn't do where um, Billy comes home instead of saving his mom, they her head like they cut her head off and it rolls down the stairs. Right. I know that was a uh, something that was in the original script. I didn't know about the other stuff. That sounds pretty awesome too. But yeah, definitely different tone of movie <laughs> if they had done that. Do you do you uh, do you think this movie kind of toes the line well before between being uh, horror and being like? more almost quasi family friendly i mean it does it does flirt with the line i would say i mean i i i guess i would call it still horror um because the stuff they were doing was horrific <laughs> I mean, they weren't <laughs> doing kind-hearted stuff well there are um, there are some sequences where they're more like um engaged in shenanigans more than anything else where they're just like flashing phoebe cates at the bar and then just like like you said break dancing and kind of partying and going to see a Disney movie. <laughs> so there's elements of, of them just kind of being like 
you know, goofballs more than and like regular like troublemakers more than just like murdering people, which they, you know, they just they they uh, they dip their toe into that in this movie, but not nearly as much as I, I guess was intended. I have a theory that all 80s movies as being made, there was a lot of coke involved, a lot of cocaine. Yeah, that's probably and I feel like and I feel like those scenes that you had mentioned, like where they're flashing with the sunglasses, like, yeah, some dude that was coked out, like definitely mentioned that. <laughs> <laughs> and someone else who was coked. I was like, <clears throat> yeah, that's a great idea. <clears throat> Let's film that right now. And then like they just they just did it. Um, I, I'm not mad about it. <laughs> you know, no, it's no, hilarious. No. no, it's great. Um well, then, to that ex- to that effect, uh, what do you? Then we'll get back to this one. But that kind of that I feel like that's a good jumping off point because those sequences I think are really taken up to eleven in the sequel. So let's just touch on the sequel for a minute because that made me think about the various types of gremlins in that movie and how that movie is completely completely batshit crazy. What are your What are your quick quickly What are your thoughts on uh, Gremlins Two: The New Batch? What do you mean a, a bat gremlin? What's what's <laughs> like they were they were just injecting themselves with DNA of other creatures? Like that seems pretty legit. Uh, no, um, I don't. I don't hate the sequel. Um, I don't love it as much as the original. Right. Um, but I feel like it had its moments. You know, it was kind of interesting to see an intelligent gremlin. You know, who was still psychotic and chaotic as the other ones. It's just that he was smarter and was able to speak. Um. I thought it was visually cool. The spider um, oh, yeah, gremlin. I guess one. I guess he was stripe. I mean, it's not really stripe, but I guess it was stripe. Uh, it was visually cool, but eh, I mean, I could have done without that. I guess uh, uh, Rambo. Um, <laughs> Rambo Gizmo. Gizmo was amazing. You know, like that was that was cool. That- he was like, "That's it. I'm I'm sick of this shit. <laughs> you guys bullying me around. I'm fucking done." I'm going to ramble you motherfuckers. Um, that was pretty cool. Um, I, I did love the little crazy-eyed um, gremlin. I, I I don't even know if they oh, had names. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. Um, I liked him as the uh, mogwai crazy-eyed. I, like when he does a little <laughs> with the twink and he throws it, <laughs> still makes me laugh. Um Bug-eyed, crazy-eyed, gremlin version of him wasn't too much of a fan. Found him more, more annoying. But yeah, I mean, I still, I still enjoyed. It. I still watch it. Um, I not never watched as much as the original, but I, I still enjoy the sequel. Yeah, this that's what this one would have been had they not le- not let those darker elements, I guess, take part. And I, what I what I think it's cool about the second one is that the second one almost functions in a, in a lot of ways as kind of a parody of this movie. Uh, and I think that that's 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 kind of an, uh, a fun dynamic in that, you know, in here you have obviously the uh, the scene with Kate talking about her why she hates Christmas, which is then parody, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is then which is then poked fun at in in the sequel. So um, some of those I think some of those moments like I don't I don't know how straight they were trying to play the, the Kate story, but it is kind of it does come off as kind of ridiculous. Uh, what are you <laughs> thoughts thoughts on that sequence? I guess, and and then we'll jump into what in particular. The cast. In particular, like when they were trying to sell it as a PG movie, and yet you got this character who like that's one of the more serious moments mm-hmm. and creepy moments of the film is where she's talking about yeah, my dad got stuck in a chimney pretending to be Santa and he died. <laughs> he broke and his neck. <laughs> Christmas yeah, like 
Like, yo, Jesus someone Christ. wrote that in and we're like, yeah, PG for sure. Like, <laughs> like no one, no one double checked, like to be like, yo, maybe, maybe we don't do that scene. Like maybe it's not necessary. Cause it didn't, it didn't really push any of the narrative other than she's seen some shit. Like is yeah. all it really, all it really was. Um, so yes, I did enjoy that they made fun of that in the in the second one. That was pretty funny. Yeah, we're we're basically reacting like Billy, like holy shit, <laughs> that's fucked yes, up. Yeah, I uh, am. But that's that's the that's the thing that's that I, I love about you know this movie specifically, I guess, is that there are so many moments and so many things about this film that was marketed mostly to kids that are in, indicative of of the eighties in general, and you know I think about a lot of the movies that that uh that i grew up with like never ending story or like return to oz like all these really dark fucked up movies that were kids movies that they, they made toys of and and you know everything i mean they had a they had a uh i think they had a ram rambo like cartoon show in the 80s it's just like there was no limits to what was marketed to kids and children's entertainment was extremely <laughs> extremely dark and there there was not really kind of a uh, a line there, and I find that fascinating. How how times have changed because there's no way in hell this would be PG now. Um, no, 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 no. <laughs> PG, easily PG thirteen, and even with that, they probably would have toned down like some of this. Like Kate's story probably wouldn't have been in there, for example. Uh, and I, I just as a relic of of a different time in cinema, I, I you know it's always fun to go back and, and revisit movies around this time period. I just the whole rating system to me is ridiculous. What is it? Yeah. Two fucks, right? Yeah. Two fucks is an R. Yep. Uh, blood and sex, right? Is that? I believe so. Is that yeah. what the R? It's like okay, so the gremlins can go and they the people died, <laughs> like they brought back. Um, I'm forgetting his name. He's he was so awesome. Uh, the guy in the tractor who told the World War II story. Yeah, um, Dick Miller, I think, right? Mr. Futterman. Mr. Futterman, uh, yeah. So, like, essentially in the first one, like, he was murdered. Like, he got rammed by the tractor, him and his wife. Like, yeah, that's cool, PG-13. But if you had shown, like, two people, like, naked, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, can't do that. Like, murder's cool, but, you know, a boob? No, we're not, no, yeah, we- not doing that. <laughs> um, that was one of the harder selling points for me on the second one. Like, yo, Mr. Futterman hella died. Like there's no way he would have survived that. <laughs> like at all. That was the that was the toughest. Uh, out of all the things, I was cool with the flying gremlins. I was cool with the vegetable gremlin and electricity gremlin. But Mr. Futterman coming back, I don't know, bullshit. man. Yeah, yeah. That's some bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, jumping off of uh, you know Dick Miller, this is obviously this I'd like an a uh, cast full of '80s icons. We already mentioned Phoebe Cates. Who was who was in Fast Times at Ridgemont High with Judge Reinhold who's in this, and then you have Zach Galligan who is pretty much just known for these movies, I guess, and Corey Feldman who show up in this. Uh, I I don't know. I, I really liked Zach Galligan's uh, performance in these two movies. I think he's he's really fun, and I do want to see more of of the two of them, of him and Kate, and the kind of continuation of that story if they were to make another one. What are you, what are your thoughts on the cast and and the possibility of I, I guess continuing uh, continuing thirty something years after the sequel? You're 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 tasking me with like continuing like one of my childhood movies like oh all right <laughs> so easy uh, go for it, um, it Christian yeah I'm sure I can uh, I don't know um, it would be cool to see the characters come back I'd be curious to how they 
did uh, Gizmo, it'd be cool if he was like this hardened, you know, like hard boiled like Mogwai. He's you been know, working out for thirty that. years, getting ready for when the, the the Gremlins come back. You know, like the second one, like just really fucked him up. <laughs> He's just like, I don't sick of this bullshit and just became like a gremlin hunter yeah. um i don't know i watch the hell out of that <laughs> um you know but bringing in fresh characters um i don't know it would actually i mean i feel like if they did it today it would all be like social media i don't know they'd be trolling the fuck out of people i guess or something <laughs> i don't know like like what like what kind of like fucking with drones i guess um i don't know i would this would be one I would want to brainstorm with Cody. Right. Usually both both our heads combine at an issue. I feel like we come up with good stuff. I don't know if I would trust this on solely on me. Um, I feel like if they would go ahead, go ahead. Oh no, I, was, I just I'm not too sure what um what approach I'd want to take. I mean, maybe even I would try to maybe possibly explore the idea of actually going straight horror. Maybe like we've done the half goofy, half horror full goofy with the sequel to maybe full horror in the next rendition um i don't know i don't know i feel like there's there's a lot of possible good angles that can be taken with it in a way i feel like gremlins for the technology age i feel like joe dante already made that movie in 1988 and it's called small soldiers is kind of i think what that would have been if he'd done that so i don't know i think uh i think they have to find a a, a different a different angle with that i do really like in in both films, I do really like uh, Billy and Kate, and I think that they're they're pretty solid straight men uh, in this in these movies too. The, the craziness around them, and I did really buy into uh, in this film, film specifically the the relationship between not you think I'm going to say Billy and Kate, but actually I'm going to say with Billy and Gizmo. I buy into that relationship a lot more than I do Billy and Kate actually. <laughs> Um, so, you know, there's the, the scenes early on with them kind of bonding. And I, and I like at the end when, when Billy's being taken back, uh, by Mr. Wing and he's wants to go back and say, you know, can say goodbye to Billy and stuff. I really like that. And I think that's where you get the little bit of, of, uh, that kind of Spielberg heart. Like you could feel Spielberg's influence on that whole storyline. In fact, part of it, I don't, I don't know if you know this, but part of it was that Gizmo was supposed to turn into Stripe and that, yeah, that was when it. Right. And, and, uh, I think it's, it was a wise move to, to change it, to have Gizmo sort of be the, the hero throughout and actually be the one to take out Stripe at the end of the film. What are your, what are your thoughts on the Billy Gizmo dynamic? And I guess Gizmo in general, because I, I, that's a character that I still really love. Um, and I actually think I even have like a toy of Gizmo. Uh, I had one so as a kid. I, I actually have another one in my room here. So, um, yeah, he's great. I would counter the relationship, your relationship of Billy with uh, Gizmo, with Gizmo, and I forget the dog's name. Um, oh, but yeah. that that dog, you know, I'm not not to belittle the actor, human actors, but that dog was amazing at selling that Gizmo was real. Mm-hmm. If you go back and rewatch when he pops out of the box, the little treasure box that he's in. Or when he's coming out, like the like the dog is so interested in this little puppet, like it makes he sells it that this thing is real because he really wants to get like like any dog would when they see like a rodent like creature, they want to get right. near it, they want to smell it. Like um, that to me is what I feel really sells the idea of this being an actual creature. Um, but yeah, who wouldn't? You know, but the relationship between Billy and Gizmo is obviously special. Like who wouldn't want? 
that little guy, you know, chilling next to you, watching TV, you know, uh, or hanging out, you know, just just chilling, playing music together. You know, he's teaching you how to use a little keyboard. Like it was it was a very sweet like. And yeah, shout out to the actor. Um, he did a great job. Like, you know, he was playing a very innocent young adult, but it didn't feel cheesy. It felt right. real. It felt genuine. You know, it felt like he was like just a real not like a simpleton, but just like a very just had the very inner childlike uh, personality. Right. Yeah. He's just a, just a decent guy, but he, and, you know, that you can kind of uh, root for, but also not so dynamic that he takes over the, the fact that this movie is about the gremlins and not this kid and his like, oh, it's downtrodden job at the bank and wanting to get with Phoebe Cates, who, who, which, who wouldn't want to get with Phoebe Cates, by the way. Oh, yeah. Also, like, I feel like people kind of sleep on the fact that Billy, Billy was taking care of the entire family it's with true. his bank job. True. <laughs> like, inventor dad was not exactly oh, bringing man. in money. I, those are some <laughs> of the jokes that I think work for me the best is Rand Peltzer running around with his inventions and constantly trying to sell people on the bathroom buddy or like, oh, <laughs> oh, I see that you have an ashtray there that's not it's broken. Oh, you, you lucky you ran into me without <laughs> this, like... <laughs> basically a piece of junk that never works and like the, the you know the the um what is it the egg the egg cracking machine in the kitchen that's not in the juicer that goes crazy i loved all that stuff that was hilarious to me that the the juicer in particular was really funny because like the he put in one orange <laughs> and the amount of juice that came out of that orange like yo i have not been using my oranges to their full potential Right. I've been yeah. leaving a lot of juice it's like on the you, table. It's, it's like when you see a Tarantino movie, like Kill Bill or something, and an arm gets cut off and an ungodly amount of blood comes out. You're like, that's not that much blood in the human body. <laughs> so I, I don't know where you're going with that. Um, but no, yeah, I loved all the all the stuff with the dad. I thought he he was really he was really funny in there with all the all the inventions and all of that. Um, let's talk about. The uh, well, we kind of mentioned briefly the score, the Jerry Goldsmith score. I think the music is is really still super memorable. Uh, the fact that Gizmo sings, and I think the Gremlins themselves also kind of. I, I think at one point they're doing the the caroling outside Mrs. Deagle's house, and I think they're kind of just like, like doing the music at some point. And I I, I ate all that shit up. And um, of course, and Rock and Ricky, let's give so him great. credit. You know, <laughs> DJ. There's a, there's a whole hidden movie there with Rock and Ricky uh, getting attacked by the Gremlins, and then I guess successfully fighting them off, which we get to hear from him a couple of times. I feel like that there's a missed opportunity there for like a Gremlins short film of what, the adventures of Rock you know, and Ricky <laughs> during all this. You know, you blew my mind, dude. I never thought about that. That's a movie I want to see how he survived that shit by himself there you go. in the DJ. Gremlins 3, the, just, event, the Rock and Ricky's tale. Just throwing like records at him, you know, just like <laughs> tossing them. God, that's so funny. Uh, so we have to talk about the rules. That's that's the big thing that everybody likes to, and they even make fun of it in this in the sequel. Well, isn't it one, always? Yeah. Isn't it always after midnight at some point? Like, how does that work exactly with time zones and, and all of that? Um, I always would try to sell it. It's like okay, it's after midnight, but it would stop as soon as you see the sun coming up. That's kind of like how I always figured. Like that's okay. the cutoff point they can eat again. Right. Right. I I really like, like that. I I really like that. That that's part of what I think makes this movie so. 
so memorable in that is that it tries to create its own mythology. Like it, you get it, it sort of ham handedly at first at the beginning. I think they just, you could tell that they just really wanted to emphasize the rules up front. Maybe test audiences were confused or something because Rand Pelter's walking back uh, to his car or whatever from the, from the shop. And it's just like voiceover laid over it. So, you know, that felt like so obviously added in, in post. Uh, but what did you, what are your thoughts on, I guess the rules as they're laid out to Billy further, uh, you know, earlier in the film. I mean, I guess because I saw it as a kid, I never really questioned them. I was like, okay, mm-hmm. don't get them wet. Okay, seems legit. Got it. Don't yeah. feed them after midnight. Yeah, sure. All right, I get it. Uh, um, I mean, yeah, I guess as an adult thinking about it, yeah, it's kind of ridiculous. Like, well, so like Gizmo's just stank as fuck all the time because <laughs> he legit can't shower. Like, you can't <laughs> bathe him. Yeah. So he must just reek of turd or piss or whatever like you can't get it off his fur i'm sure he can't wipe and if he does it's still on him you know so like i guess <laughs> these are the like, questions you, you're not supposed to ask i guess yeah right like do you dry clean him like i don't understand i don't I know saying. like <laughs> like uh, if you get like a damp towel would that activate his like would one gremlin or one mogwai pop out like um you know as an adult you think of it but as a kid you don't you don't question it you know yeah, I, and I, I, th- I think the movie the movie does uh, a decent job at also laying out what the rules are and then having them broken in a way that doesn't make the Peltzers look like idiots. You know what I mean? <laughs> in that yeah. they, they, you know, they know, they know, you know, uh, Billy tries to follow the rules. He tries to adhere to that. It's not that he's irresponsible because if that was the case, then we wouldn't really be rooting for him. Be like, yeah, this guy brought it on himself. But the the uh, the gremlins, the well, like I said, the mogwais at that part at that point, they outsmart him. They they uh, they break the cord on the clock. They like you know chew it or whatever, so that the clock doesn't look like it's ever past midnight at that point and things like that. And I, you know, I, I Corey Feldman knocks over the water in the on the on the on the desk, things like that. Like I feel like they found a way to kind of sidestep because you you know that classic horror movie thing it's something that i guess prometheus has been really accused of where the the characters are like oh what's this i shouldn't touch it but i'm gonna stick my hand in there and see what's going on i feel like this movie finds a way to finds a way to make that happen obviously because then there's no movie um without without sacrificing the uh i guess the integrity of the characters yeah, no, and uh, it's funny that you brought out the or brought the point up where uh, they chewed the cord. Like I've never looked at cold chicken from the fridge and be like, I want to eat that. Like I've never ever like, thought about like, yeah, that looks appealing. But the way those little puppets were just eating that chicken and tossing the bones, like, damn, they make it look so good. Like maybe, maybe I should try some cold. Yeah, you're fridge missing chicken. out on something. I don't know. <laughs> um, and um. Also, shout out to the teacher. I forgot the actor's name, but he did a great job. Um, and it wasn't Billy's teacher. It was Corey Feldman's teacher. Uh, his death was, to me, one of the mo- most tragic ones. Like, And they don't and they don't show us pretty – I mean, we can only imagine what that gremlin did to him mm-hmm. to kill him. But uh, that's when – and that's one of the – That's I believe that's the first death, right, that we see. Yeah. Well, I guess you don't really see the other ones, but no, yeah, he reaches you know, under the under the, uh, the the cart, the table, or whatever, and then kind of screams, and then I guess he's, Billy finds him later with the syringe in his uh, in his butt there. Yeah, we don't know. Like, was it the syringe that did it? Did he chew his face off? Like, yeah. we don't know what what he did, but um, 
the point I was trying to make is like that's that's the scene where we're like, holy, these things are vengeful as fuck. Like he was mad because he drew blood. He didn't even kill him. He didn't even hurt him that bad. He just drew some blood. But that that was enough to be like, yeah, I need to kill him. He took my blood. He he needs to die. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, pretty much. He's like, I gotta get out of here. I gotta go meet my friends and go. Uh, I have a date at the bar with uh, with a lady gremlin. <laughs> Uh, and, and I love when that does happen, when he, they do get wet and they start to do their, you know, they start to get, get out of control. Gizmo, you can hear Gizmo kind of go like being really sad and like, mm, cause he knows yeah. what's going on. He's like, not again with this shit. Like how many times has poor Gizmo like stepped in a puddle or something? <laughs> and, then, and then, you know, there's been this whole situation that had to be, uh, had to be contained essentially. Yeah, and like, does he drink water? Can he drink water? Like, if he puts I, it in his mouth, is yeah, like the mouth part, he the only has, part that doesn't activate him? He has saliva, I'm assuming, and things. I mean, you know, his internal organs, are, I'm assuming, are wet. So, uh, yeah, I don't know exactly how that all works. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I, I love when we uh, when we do see Stripe, who who is such a great villain, by the way. Uh, oh, yeah, of course. And, and yeah, he, he awesome. they, they point out, like, oh, this one here, I call him Stripe. He seems to be the leader. I'm like, hell yeah, he is gonna kick your ass like I, I loved everything with stripe and that you can tell that he is you know the more i guess the more uh intellectually evolved of them like he know he his he's on a mission to to spread uh to to multiply uh he's also the one i think that uses uh uses a gun at least once or twice i think i don't know if it's him but he both times but yeah in the, he, yeah, in in the, the shop center it was yeah he had yeah, in the a shopping center and then there's also in, in the in the bar there's like uh i guess the, some of the gremlins are playing poker i don't know if that's stripe that has the, that takes out a gun there and blows away one of the other <laughs> one of the other gremlins but um i know there was there was a poker table scene where one blows the other one's brains out for cheating and i, I think yeah. you're right i got that see i feel like i have this movie so memorized and look after 30 plus years i'm still finding new stuff like now i gotta go find out if that was stripe it's, um, and there was another one that was masked that also had a pistol and it was in the bar scene where he was kind of chasing Phoebe Cates with. Um, but yeah, you're right. He was totally the most intelligent one. He was the one with the plan. Um, both times he escaped death uh, by Miss Peltzer. And then in the uh, movie theater scene, like both times he managed to get out. Yeah, he just uh, went across the street at, to get some snacks. And then, the, yeah. you know, <laughs> Billy just ruins their whole party. Uh, yeah, so no, I, I love, I love Stripe and I, and it does seem like they go after Mrs. Deagle specifically, like, you know, she's set up very early in the movie as kind of a, a combination basically of Scrooge, Corolla DeVille and the Wicked Witch. I mean, she's even has that, like, I'll get you when you least expect it. And I'm like, <laughs> your little dog too, because it's literally what she's after. Um, it does seem like they are specifically targeting Mrs. Deagle. They roll up to her house. To, to, you know, oh. do you think there's a specific motivation behind them? Like the other gremlins? I mean, other than just causing chaos, uh, it, it does seem, I mean, I guess for the point of the movie, it's, you know, obviously we want, we, the audience, uh, want to see her, I guess, pay in some regard, maybe not the way that they do it, but, um, what are, you know, do you think that they, they went specifically to Mrs. Deagle's house? I don't know. I don't know if they were like, oh, that's the lady that did, uh, you know, uh, Billy wrong. So we're going to go kill her. But it is definitely the one death where we're at the audience like, meh. <laughs> like, yeah, she, yeah, not so bad. It's uh, all good. Not, not so, I don't feel so bad. I've always felt sorry for the guy dressed up as Santa Claus where he has like 
eight gremlins yes. just on him attack and the and the cops are just like <laughs> oh look that's that's what's his name that what plays are those Santa on him. Yeah, uh, we got pistols um, and batons. Um, let's just drive the fuck out of here. Like I don't <laughs> like. They just left them to die a slow death of being covered by gremlins. And then they get the karma, uh, the karmic retribution because you know I think the the gremlins cut their brake line, so the, yeah, the, they exactly. end up yeah they end up getting into a car accident anyway. Uh, no, Which I, I feel like no one really focuses too much on how strong these gremlins are. Like he cut brake lines with his with I guess. Claws, talons, hands, you know, all of the above. Um, and also the one in the school, like, opened up a metal grate, like, just slashed it open. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they're they're little, but they're strong and they're vicious, you know? And so I guess they would have easily taken down a few of them, that Santa Claus. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's funny, too, watching this because this was really the... In the in the same way that E.T. started off the whole like a kid and an alien they can be friends let's make that a genre this was really a, a movie that started off a little mean monsters and then after this you had like the, the critters movies and all those the other thing it really did kind of kick off a a trend of films like this and I and I don't I don't think any of those other ones have ever really matched the the, the level of this in large respect because of the way that they blend the horror and the comedy and because you do believe these little things are running amok and destroying the town. Uh, and I think part of it is because of little things like you just mentioned, like you see just what they're, they're capable of and that they, they, uh, they aren't just like mindless little creatures. I mean, they can get that way when you give them a few drinks apparently, or, or show them, <laughs> or show them a, a Disney movie. They kind of get super excited and into it. Um, but they, you know, they 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 have intentionality and they, they're clearly on, on a, on a mission to do something, whatever, whatever, whatever their end game is. I would like to, I'd like to see that maybe like a, maybe the next gremlins, um, project could be sort of a, a post-apocalyptic, uh, <laughs> like the gremlins have taken over. And then like, what is that? What is that like now? Planet of the Apes, but with gremlins or something, that would be interesting. Anarchy. Yeah. Just be pure anarchy. <laughs> Oh man, it's, it's so good. Uh, let's see. I talked about the rules. Oh, we talked about the um, the visual, the practical effects, obviously, and with the puppets. But I, I really thought the the pupil stage when they are transitioning from Mogwais to Gremlins that gave me a lot, a lot of uh, alien vibes. Of the, oh yeah, for sure. That, which I, which was obviously intentional. But not only that, I think you get a, you, you know you get throughout the movie variations on on the gremlins and what happens to them and i think that the those things just looked so icky and uh because they are practical effects like they felt really tangible and real and i think that carries on until later in the film when stripes spoilers when stripes death scene uh the way that it, when he gets all like uh you know he's melting and stuff i i really i just i'm always impressed when i watch this movie just how great that stuff looks i mean we talked about the characters uh when they're in motion and stuff too but like just i, I don't know it, it, it really it's really still kind of impressive and i and I, I can't help but be kind of awed by it every time i watch it you know I, and maybe i'm not sure if this was the movie's intention or it's just something that i i think i'm seeing but in the when you see them in the in in that cocoon stage and Billy's mom goes up in the morning and sees them to me, it looks like it's the gremlins, but like 
like crouching and like tucking in their legs. Like, I, and again, I don't know if that's the movie's intention or if it was just what I'm seeing, but it just looks like it's kind of like they're already in their gremlin stage, but they're just like kind of busting out of this, I don't know, like placenta like thing. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. But maybe, maybe that's what I'm seeing. I'm not too sure if that's what, what they intended. Yeah, it's possible. It's possible. I mean, it just, it's really, it's, you can do you can really appreciate the craft behind the movie and, and when you see the the details in, in, in moments like that. Uh, we mentioned already to the the big showdown, I guess, kind of with Stripe and Billy and how Stripe kind of low-key emerges as one of the, I don't know, one of the best movie villains of of this period, at least. Uh, I think I don't I don't even know how that I guess it's just little moments, like little glances and cuts to stripe throughout everything that you can tell his plan is evolving but i really like love that that scene with stripe and and billy and I, to, to me i mean i'm a 36 year old man that scene was still kind of scary for what it is uh you know he goes for the crossbow the chainsaw and all of that I, let's talk about that for a minute oh yeah the chainsaw alone like the way the puppet's like running towards him you're like oh shit he's fucking done mm-hmm. <laughs> he's like like what's he He's got nothing to protect against that. Like, yeah, he grabs a bat that gives him like temporary for a um, moment, blocking yeah. for a moment. Um, and I, I, man, I'm trying to think is what the oh, what was it? The plug runs out. I don't even remember how he escapes from that. I'm blanking at the moment. Yeah, I don't know I if think, it, I think the the, the oh, chainsaw no, gets stuck sorry, in the was, bat. Or no, Phoebe Cates turns the lights on and he's like freaks out and then the chainsaw drags him away. I remember right. now. Yeah, yeah. And then he managed to get away. Yeah, like if it wasn't for uh I guess it's not his girlfriend yet, but if it wasn't for her, he would have been done. It would have been over. Yeah. No, totally. And then Gizmo came in in his little pink car. Um and there's certain moments where you can tell that the movie was trying to find that find the way to have everything be as dark as it is, but also lighten the mood because I noticed, and I didn't even think I've ever really noticed this before just because it's more of a subtle thing. But when uh, stripe like hits his head, like when after gizmo comes in, there's like these cartoon, like, like tweet yeah, right. sound effects. And I was like, what the hell? <laughs> I, like, yeah, I, it's, getting, it's getting too dark and too scary. We yeah, need to yes. uh, make it safer for the kids. <laughs> exactly. And it's, I noticed something recently, like in the last few years, I really grew up with, uh, this movie, Three Ninjas from the early 90s that I used to watch like insane, insanely all the time. Uh, and it's essentially just like Karate Kid meets Home Alone, basically. And there's a, there, there's on the soundtrack, there are a lot of moments where it's like, psh, psh, boom, boom, like silly music and things like that. <laughs> and, you know, and I think it was an intentional, uh, intentional to like kind of lighten the tone and uh, I guess take away the the intensity of the violence. I think the Ninja Turtles movie, the original, kind of does that a little bit too. And as an adult, it really makes me want to see like, well, what was the original vision of that? Like with, with those elements stripped away, you know? Uh, I think I still think that 1990 Ninja Turtles movie pretty much holds up. Uh, it does have a lot of kind of, uh, you know, practical creature effects and that kind of thing as well. Um, so I, I'd be curious to see, you know, maybe now if they did do more Gremlins, like, they would be they would be less afraid to lean into that because they would be tailoring it more to people like us that grew up with this movie. Oh, I'm uh, yeah. I mean, I'm trying to think of seeing a movie done today with cartoon noises in it. Like, <laughs> yeah, I just it just it, it. I don't know. I don't feel like it would work. 
they, I, it's not going to have the charm that Gremlins did, you know. I, I just I can't imagine them doing it and making it work unless you brought in, you know, um, the same team that did it. But even then, I it would be a tough sale mm-hmm. to do today. Yeah, I know. I think Joe Dante wants to do it because I've heard that Zach Galligan said that he was, you know, Joe Dante wasn't spe- specifically pleased with the way that the second one went, probably because it did go too lean too heavily on the comedy. Um, I don't know if Chris Columbus, who is weirdly the, wrote this movie on spec uh, before, you know, Home Alone and everything took off. I don't know if, if he would really still be involved or want to be involved or be able to kind of tap into this after decades of doing like the like most squeaky clean movies of all time. Um, uh, so I don't I don't know how that would work. I, I regardless, I think that this movie it's in itself is is definitely one of those big hallmark movies of the 80s and I think it's sometimes gets forgotten in a way when we talk about Ghostbusters or Back to the Future or you know Indiana Jones or or Empire Strikes Back or things like that. I feel like a lot of people kind of forget about Gremlins. So in in a way I almost kind of want to see I think they're doing some kind of animated show or something with Gremlins. I think that's what I heard about something with that. So I have to look into exactly what that's about, but I think they should do something more with this property just because it's I feel like it's kind of faded in the in the cultural zeitgeist to a certain extent. Do you agree with that? Well, I, I feel like every year, once a year, I will go, I will Google search Gremlins three mm-hmm. and I always see like the script finally got approved and right. it's going to like it's going to every year. It's like it's finally happening. And then next year is like, all right, I know we said last year it was going <laughs> to finally happen, but this time it's really going to happen. And it's like, I know we did. We said it twice, but this one is for sure happening. And it never it never does. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I would say if the creator, the original creators don't want to do it, like maybe just have some of the fans uh, do it or let someone else who who truly, truly, truly loves um these movies i don't know if you've seen there is a fan uh there is a fan made one oh i feel like I that, uh, that it was on youtube it was honestly not too bad for for being a fan movie uh it looks like there was definitely a lot of money for a fan movie that went into it but you know it wasn't perfect no but it was it was pretty good for what it was um you know and if there were fans that took the time and put in, you know, if not their own money, but raised the money to do that, you know, then let someone else who loves the property as much uh, take over and, and let them do it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it looks like um, Gremlins Secrets of the Mogwai is the animated series. It's going to be on the Warner Media streaming service. Uh, it sounds it sounds like it's focusing on young Mr. Wing when he was a kid and kind of how he met Gizmo and stuff. So obviously probably tailored specifically to children uh, in the way, not in the way that the original Gremlins movie was tailored to children, um, like an actual children's show. So I don't know how much I really have a specific interest in that per se, but uh, it's good to see something with that. And, you know, to, to jump off of what you said about uh, kind of the, the drawn out conversations about a third Gremlins, that's what we, you know, that's what I thought for the longest time about a third Bill and Ted, and that's happening. That's filmed already. Oh right? yeah. So I mean, never it, say never, I guess. I just hope I, I don't know what the tone of the new Bill and Ted is going to be, but I would love it if it it somehow transitioned like Ted turned into John Wick. You know, <laughs> <laughs> like John Wick is in the new Bill and Ted, and he's just like a hardcore killer. I mean, I. Obviously, they're not going to do it. But if they kind of like mention some kind of John Wick in there, I think it'd be pretty funny. I hope they take the opportunity to do that. 
I feel like it would be a great uh, comedic moment, but who, who knows? I feel like with how crazy the John Wick series has gotten, I would almost be more, I would almost, it would be an easier sell for John Wick to be literally in the Matrix and like Neo just respawned <laughs> as John Wick. Uh, I think that, that would be an easier an easier leap to make than uh, the villains had, but maybe the original villains had. Maybe that's John Wick's backstory, and yeah, you know, or something. He's, he's seen some some shit doing, you know, traveling through time and getting all the all these adventures. That's how he, you know, that's how he's gotten as good as he is. Or maybe he he has some kind of sports almanac. Uh, <laughs> about <laughs> became super rich. yeah he became super rich and that's how he knows what's going to happen and that's how why he's such a, a good assassin he can he's literally seen the future i think there's there's, yeah, there's something there there's take that and, and uh you know roll with it keanu reeves it's interesting that you mentioned the Ma- the matrix because i believe they are uh, doing another story but i believe keanu reeves is also attached to it yep. i'm assuming that each neo that pops up is just the same person and i don't know if they just they got to him kind of later in life i i I don't know what angle they're gonna they're gonna take with it yeah same i mean the matrix is essentially my favorite movie for a lot of reasons and i you know i have mixed feelings on the sequels which i i do want to i'm probably going to do a an episode on those two films at some point just because i don't think they're like garbage like a lot of people think but i also don't think they're perfect i think there's a lot of you know, distinctions to be made between those two extremes. And those movies kind of fall in the middle for me. So yeah, it's, it's, I'm curious to see what they, what they do with uh, a fourth matrix and a third Bill and Ted and the, the, whatever gremlins movie happens. So it's, it's, you know, we're in that age now where pretty much anything that happened in the nineties or, or 80, you know, I feel like we're moved on from eighties to nineties nostalgia. So now everything, I mean, they already had like what, four seasons of a full house sequel series. So, I mean, I think all bets are off at this point. As long as we get a another Labyrinth, I'll be happy. That's another, outside of Gremlins, that's mm. another one of my super top favorite. It's just sad that, you know, yeah, super, super sad that we no longer have David Bowie, like, to be in it. Um, so, but who knows what, what musician they'll probably put in there. Well, uh, side any, note. Have any, have any side suggestions? Side note, they actually... They actually wanted Michael Jackson for the original Labyrinth, but uh, I don't um, Probably a good idea that they didn't have in there with a oh, baby. And, yeah, I was you know, like say. A, a teenager. <laughs> the fact that he was <laughs> trying, chasing down a, yeah, chasing down a baby boy and had to get his hands on that, on that little boy. Yeah, probably a good idea. They didn't go that route. <laughs> <laughs> they saw it. They saw, they, they, they foresaw everything coming. I don't know. <laughs> they tapped into the, the, uh, the John Wick sports almanac premise that I, that I just mentioned. Um, so do you have any ideas for who you'd want what, in a in a labyrinth uh, sequel, reboot, whatever that would be? I don't know, man. I have, There's I have only no one idea. Bowie, so I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure how they would. They have It would have to be something very different. I don't know. That's a very good question. I, I'd be, I think it'd be interesting to put a rapper in there. I think yeah. it'd be kind of funny. <laughs> I'm not, what rapper? I don't know. But, Post Malone uh, is the Goblin King or something. Yeah. It'd be it'd just dropping bars every time, like, you know, <laughs> the girl was trying to get her brother. I don't know. Yeah. Um, is, is there, uh, well, who, like you said, with the Dark Crystal, uh, hopefully they'll, we'll get a little bit of a renaissance with this kind of puppet uh, puppet action. And I don't mean like uh, Happy Time Murders or Team America kind of puppet action. I mean like <laughs> legit more uh, more uh, of... of this kind of uh, practical effects and and such, because I, I would love to see that kind of make, making a major comeback in the near future. But 
Uh, are there, is there anything else about Gremlins that we haven't talked about that you wanted to make sure we mentioned before we start winding down? You know, I feel like there was, and now I'm blanking. Oh. Um, what was it? I don't know. If it, if it comes up, I'll just interrupt you. Yeah, that's <laughs> interrupt. Oh, totally cool. Totally cool. Um, so, Christian Garcia, can you tell people where they can find you on social media? Um, so everything is at Nerds with Friend, no S, because someone took it. Bastard. Someone be just do it. Uh, that's for Instagram, Twitter. Um, you can find us everywhere podcasts are. Uh, Stitcher. I think we're on Pandora now. Apple iTunes, uh, Buzzsprout. I guess Podcoin is gone now. <laughs> um, trying to think anywhere, anywhere you can listen to podcasts, you can find us and. If you do follow us on Instagram and Twitter, uh, feel free to message us. We always respond back. We love hearing from people. Um, you know, tell us what you like, tell us what you don't like, tell us what you want to hear, uh, tell us we suck, whatever. We'll respond back. <laughs> yeah, just get, get, tell 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 you that you suck, but give a five star rating as well. Yeah, I mean that's that's cool. Yeah, you know? that's how it works, right? <laughs> so um, yeah, so this was a ton of fun. I'm glad we got a chance to talk about Gremlins, and you're totally welcome to come back to the show any other time. Uh, maybe we could talk about Labyrinth. Who knows? We'll see. Yeah, uh, yeah. Delving back and, uh, into you know, this stuff. Feel free if you want to come on our podcast. Uh, Absolutely. I would love that. We're, we're not as structured as you, but <laughs> feel free to come on. No, no. That's, that's yeah. I would love to do that. Let, let me know and uh, and we'll make that happen sometime soon. Sure, sure. Awesome. Thanks, Christian. I appreciate having you on the show and uh, we'll definitely be in touch. Sounds good. All right. Thanks, man. If you're interested in joining me on the show to chat about one of your favorite films, head on over to crookedtable.com slash guest. Or you can consider supporting the show at patreon.com slash crookedtable. Of course, you can always find more podcasts, reviews, videos, and other movie-related goodies over at crookedtable.com. Until next time, this has been the Crooked Table Podcast, and I've been Rob. This has been a production of crookedtable.com. All rights reserved. Z-R-O-O-K-E-D. 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 Z-R-O